I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Dr. David Wilcox, and he's author of How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System, a Patient's Handbook for Survival. After 28 years in the healthcare business, Dr. David Wilcox has seen enough to realize that it truly is a business as opposed to the kind-hearted healing services that most of us might imagine it to be. In his own words, he explores what to do if you have to go to a hospital, how to handle an insurance company's claim denial, how to find an alternative to high-priced prescriptions, and why the current pay-for-fee system is inadequate. He offers information, facts, and tips that can help patients and family members gather or navigate through the morass. His goal is to level the playing field, enabling consumers of healthcare to understand how to avoid getting caught in the systemic net. Uh, he has nearly three decades of healthcare experience as an ICU nurse, transplant nurse, hospital administrator, and in healthcare information technology. Welcome to the show, Dr. David Wilcox. Thank you, Catherine. I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Yeah, well, we have a lot to talk about because all of us use the healthcare system at one time or another. And uh, I think your book is right on target, and we don't know what we're getting into most of the time. And the system is not transparent. I think transparency is a big word that I see uh, uh, that is something that we have no idea how much things cost, how to navigate the system, what do we do. So for you and I, for you and me, where do we start? I mean, healthcare is a business. Maybe we should start with that. So what does that mean? Well, healthcare is complex, and that's not by accident. It's been designed to be complex by the healthcare entities that are vying for your dollar because they don't want you to know what your healthcare is going to cost. They want to keep you in the dark. Um, it's, it's amazing that we as Americans put up with this because if you're going to buy a house or you're going to buy a car, you're going to do your research. But when you walk into the world of healthcare, you're basically at the mercy of the system. And by the system, I mean you're going to get caring individuals, doctors and nurses who are in healthcare to take care of people. But then you also have to deal with the insurance company who may say you're out of network and you have to pay more money. Or you may get charged um, an astronomical amount for a prescription medication that you, that you can't afford but you need. Uh, and the sicker you are, the more money it's going to cost you. You see that with cancer drugs, chemo drugs, or MS drugs. It's, it's crazy. It's an unregulated industry um, outside of the regulatory bodies that do monitor the hospitals and, and physicians' offices. But as far as the insurance companies and the pharmacy pharmaceutical companies go, it is game on, out in the wild, they're doing exactly what, you know, they're paying the politicians for. So um, it's definitely a business, unfortunately. There's people like myself who are trying to put the care back in healthcare because you, you, you become a number when you enter the system. Um, you know, the insurance company doesn't want to pay or, or reimburse or get, let you get proactive care, and then people get really sick and end up with cancers that could have been caught six months prior to that because the insurance company is denying them a CT scan. Just read about a case last night uh, that, that just reminds me of why I'm doing what I'm doing. So, all right, you saw Kate. Let's walk us through the case. I think cases, you know, case examples are always helpful. 
Like, yeah. Yeah. So it, it was a, a young lady who had pain in her hip and her leg and went immediately to the doctor. The doctor prescribed a CT scan for her. The insurance company came back and said, no, we're not paying for the CT scan until she does six weeks of PT, physical therapy. So she does her six weeks of physical therapy while she's still in pain. And then the insurance company comes back and says they're still not going to pay for the CT scan. And so 38 days later, after they told her they weren't going to pay, that it was challenged and they ended up paying for the CT scan. And what they found was a big cancerous growth called a sarcoma in her hip that required her to have her leg amputated and part of her hip. And then the chemo drugs. And the doctor said, if we had gotten to this thing when she first arrived, we probably would have been able to treat her with chemo. But that's an example of these payers getting in the middle of what a doctor thinks is best and the patient themselves and denying the care. These are entities that we're paying money to cover us in case we really get sick. Uh, and they're just they're not doing it. They're making decisions, isolated decisions with no medical training. And this cost this poor woman, she, she lived for another two years, but then she died, cost her her life because if somebody in the insurance company was looking out for the stockholders and didn't want to pay for that CT scan. So it's not the doctor who's who's the one who's treating us. It's a whole lot of, it's, as you say, insurance companies and other businesses that dictate the kind of care we get. Also, what about the opposite of that? Um, when p doctor, when and sometimes it's physicians. This is kind of the other side of the coin, but they want to, you know, cover their ass, and so they they dictate they they recommend a lot of tests that you don't really need that be are that are costly, for instance. So you're getting all these unnecessary tests. That's that's kind of the other side of the coin. Yep. Their business model under fee-for-service, which is what the majority of Americans are under, if you show up sick, they make money. If you don't show up sick, they don't make money. And there are doctors that upcode exactly what you're talking about. They run a series of tests because they know they're going to get paid for the test. So there's two ways to handle that. We have Well, we have different systems um, out there in healthcare. So the insurance companies automatically assume that the doctor is trying to make some money and they get in the middle of the care that the patient needs. Um, but then you have Medicare. Okay. So Medicare is a little bit different because they'll, they'll allow the doctor to order all the tests, but then they'll run investigations and come back and find the doctor if they find out that that's what's going on, but they don't interfere with the patient's care. They just go after the, the, you know, the doctor, or the group of doctors who are upcoding, and once they find them, they find them. So that's called upcoding. We're talking. Yeah, very, <laughs> yeah, very different models, right? Yeah, very different models. What about uh, the cost? Because, uh, as I understand it, let's say one needs uh, an MRI, but MRIs cost can cost the same test, the same MRI costs you know, half the price at one hospital that it does at another hospital or another urgent care, wherever you get the MRI. And we as consumers don't really have that information in terms of, as you say, we, if we're buying a house, we have an idea how much a house costs and what you get for, or a car, but we don't in terms of what we're buying in the healthcare system. 
and I don't think a lot of consumers are aware of that. You know, an X-ray costs very different at one hospital than it does another. Yeah, um, the whole system is set up to keep you in the dark. So, you know, there was a healthcare um, transparency law that was passed, uh, and hospitals are supposed to put on their common procedures in layperson's terms what they cost. Uh, the problem with that is, first of all, the hospital doesn't want you to know. And even if they did want you to know, there are so many different payment models. So Blue, Blue Cross Blue Shield is going to cover a certain amount in an in-network hospital, which you have no idea if your hospital is in-network or not. Um, United's going to do have a different pricing model. So it, it was interesting. I, actually, they just started to find hospitals um, this past week. And this law has been in since I think it was 2021, January 2021, um, and which only 15% of the hospitals are complying with putting this information out there. The other 85% are saying, fine me, because I'll pay the fine rather than put the information out. So, for, for instance, if you were going to have a total knee surgery done in the area where I live, which is outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, my hospital it would cost you, if you were paying out of pocket, it would cost you $12,000. If you went to an ambulatory surgical center to have that same operation, it would cost you $8,000. And by the way, the ambulatory surgical center has better outcomes than the hospital does for that surgery, and you would go home the same day. And so the hospital doesn't want you to find that information. They'd rather you just pay them so that they can make the money. It's um, unfortunately... It's really embedded in our political system, too, because these entities contribute to political campaign funds. Um, and, I mean, $43 million went out from the pharmaceutical industry alone in 2020 to keep things unregulated and to make sure that they can move the meter on stuff when they're charging for health care. It's crazy, but, you know, out of 17 industrialized nations, we pay the most. And we have the worst quality outcomes in this country. And let that sink in for a second, because these other countries are paying about 8.7% of their GDP for health care. Um, and we are paying 19.7. That's like 20 cents to every dollar that you spend goes towards health care. It is one-fifth and soon to be one-quarter of this economy. And these, nobody wants to fix it. They just don't want to fix it because it's bringing in so much money. It's 58.5% of the reason for personal bankruptcy, and nobody's doing anything about it. They, well, they did put in a um, no-surprise law just recently, but it doesn't cover everything, um, no-surprise billing. So there, you know, there was a uh, – hospitals would do things like, you're going to go get a surgery. And I know this happened to somebody that I know. And so they checked the hospitals in network physician or insurgents in network. Um, and so they were like, okay, so I'm good. They get in there and they bring in an anesthesiologist who is out of network. And pretty soon this person has a $10,000 bill from the anesthesiology group because they were out of network and the insurance company's not covering as much of it as they would have if they were in network. Um, so it's just, it's not geared for the average American. And clinicians, doctors, nurses, get frustrated by the system because they see this happen all the time. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book was, you know, how do I, how do I tell Americans, how do I proactively educate them before it happens to them? 
Um, and there's a guy, um, KD, who did a review on Amazon who said, I wish I read this book. This cost me thousands of dollars. And if I had read this book before I had entered the healthcare system, I would have, I would have done much better. Uh, so it's, you know, we want to help people. The healthcare system is not set up for wanting to help people. Uh, they removed the care from healthcare. Well, okay, so now we've defined the problem, and obviously, as you said, you know, your goal in writing the book, you want to level the playing field, so we have the information. That's the first part about it. But what about the second part? So now how do we spe- give us spe- specific examples, and obviously a lot of this is in the book, um, to, how to avoid getting caught in this sort of systemic net. Take us, let's say we, we have an emergency, you know, you break your arm, you go to the emergency room sitting there for five hours or more. Uh, what do you do? How do you, how, how do you start? How do you begin to navigate the system in a way so that you don't get caught up in all of what we've been talking about? Yeah. Emergent surgery or emergent care is a little bit different than um, if you're going in for a scheduled procedure, because you really don't have a choice. You have to go to the hospital. Um, I have an example in the book where that happened to me with an abscess and I was starting to get septic. But um, so when you go into the emergency room, you should always have on you a list of your medications in your wallet, on your phone, somewhere you should have a list of your medications because the data shows that if you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt around medications. Um, and that's, that's the first thing that you do. So when you go to register to the hospital and you give them your insurance card, and you, you know, you talk to a clinician, you should have a list of your medications so that they can put that list into their electronic medical record. In fact, you should have probably several lists because in your example, let's say you were going to have surgery on that arm when you went into the ED. Well, the ED doc might have entered your meds into the system, but the surgeon doesn't know anything about your medications. They may pull it up and look at it, but they really don't want to touch what your normal doctor, your, you know, your family doctor has put in for you for medications. They just want to do the surgery. They know they're going to give you anesthesia. They know you're going to recover in the recovery room, and then you're going to be sent either home or you're going to be sent to a floor, depending on how bad the break is. So they don't really pay that much attention to it. So having multiple copies to give to people would be one way I would say that you can keep yourself safe. And by all means, whenever anybody brings you a medication, because that's very, very complex, there's three different names for Tylenol. There's a generic name, a brand name, and a different name if you're getting it IV. So you want to ask every time, what is this pill for? Is this something that I normally take? Um, what's, what's it going to do? What are the side effects? And if somebody doesn't give you that information, if they're in too much of a hurry, just ask them to come back when they've got more time. Because... People get hurt all the time with that. So that that's one thing that you can do. Unfortunately, in an emergent situation, you really can't do um, much else. You can't find out if the hospital's in network or out of network um, or the doctor's in network or out of network because you you're in pain and you need to get your arm fixed. So those are two, as you say, two different situations. But when it's planned, that's a whole different thing. Planned surgery, for instance, right? So you can have yes. all this information. Yeah. Well, what about these? I mean, I, I assume when you, now we have these patient portals that you can get information about your tests and you, information right away about medications and those kinds of things. Does that have, help to mitigate some of the problems we've been talking about? 
It does. Um, the problem with it is that if you're in one electronic medical record and your hospital has another one, it's very difficult to get that information out. However, Apple has an app where you can actually download all your information from your medical records, and then you can decide what you're going to show the doctor. So, um, you know, from that list. So let's say, you know, you're a teenager or something. Uh, you go out and party a little bit too much and you wake up face down on the pavement and you have to go to the emergency room and get a CT scan of your head. You don't have to show your doctor that, although you probably should, but you know, you know, you could hide that from them and just show them your basic medication list and your, and your history. Um, but that's the way getting the data to the actual people is the way it's going to be solved. We have a lot of interoperability. Um, the government's, you know, putting in laws that you have to be able to share the information but when we started on our, you know, getting digital in healthcare, we didn't really think about what, you know, one company was going to share with another company because it doesn't behoove them to do that, right? So they want you to buy their software. So that's, you know, that's um, a big problem. So what should we be doing? Where's the, or do you see, where is the healthcare system? Where are we going? What, you know, can you... Give us an it. Yeah. 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 So, what's the future um, for us? Yeah. So, under fee for service, which is where we're at now, if you don't show up sick, nobody makes any money. So, we saw during COVID when people put off their elective procedures, and we, the taxpayers, had to bail people out and organizations out to keep the doors open, especially these community hospitals that run on two to three percent margins. Um, we saw how bad that system was. There is another type of way to deliver health care that only 25% of Americans know about, and it's called value-based care, and it's delivered by accountable care organizations, or ACOs, we call them in the business, and just that's a fancy term for a bunch of doctors that get together and go at risk for a patient. So the insurance company gives them a certain amount of money for your care, Catherine, and if they can keep the expenses down and keep you healthy and out of the hospital, they get to keep the profit from that money. So they have more skin in the game. So, you know, you're going to start to get those text messages that say, hey, did you get, you, come on and get your flu shot. We've got a flu clinic open Saturday. You're going to get those messages that say it's time for your colonoscopy because they've got skin in the game to keep you healthy and keep you out of the hospital. So that is one model I would recommend. And the way to find out about accountable care organizations is you can Google it, and just about everybody in America has one nearby. You can Google it and then ask your doctor, hey, are you part of an accountable care organization? And if your doctor says no, you can say, well, can you refer me to a physician that is part of an accountable care organization? And then once you get that referral, you go to health grades dot com and you look that doctor up to see what people are saying about that doctor to make sure you're getting a quality individual. Um, like anything else, I mean, you have to do the research and but value based care is a game changer. The numbers show that hospitals and doctors' offices underneath that model produce better quality outcomes and under fee for service. In fact, in during that whole COVID mess, because they were already getting paid whether you showed up or not, they saved $4.1 billion. Meanwhile, we were bailing all the hospitals and doctors that were under fee-for-service with our tax dollars. And, you know, it's 
it's craziness the way that we run the healthcare system. So value-based care, it's a win-win for everybody, I guess. The doctors can make, they keep you healthy because they benefit from keeping you healthy rather than treating you when you're sick. That's what you're saying. And exactly. So, yeah. So the other thing is when you see your doctor, whether you're in an emergency room, whether you're at your doctor's office under fee-for-service, they are rushed. They come in, they say, hey, you know, I reviewed your x-ray, this is what's going on, blah, 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 and then they're gone, right? Little time for questions. They usually turn you over to the nurse to, for questions, but they're under pressure. These guys are under pressure, first of all, by some of their administration upcode, like we talked about earlier, but they're also under pressure to see as many patients as possible to continue to drive the revenue stream up for the practice. In value-based care, it doesn't operate like that. You go to see your doctor. He wants to know about all your problems. He wants to know, you know, hey, are you getting enough food? I know you live in the zip code, and, you know, are you, are you getting enough food to eat? You know, do you have any violent circumstances at home? Things that are important to your health care, but nobody asks you under fee-for-service because they don't have the time to do it. Um, they're just driven by how many numbers, how many people they can get across the line that day. Yeah. Value-based care is different. They're looking out for you holistically. Yeah, well, I was saying, you know, as you're talking about holistically as a social worker, having done a lot of hospital social work, that's true. The social workers end up asking those kinds of questions. But what about telehealth? Now, how does that fit into the picture? Because I like it. I mean, in terms of, and, you know, it seems to, it saves time, it saves money, um, it's easy. You're usually, you're doing it in the comfort of your own home. You're comfortable. So you tend to, as a patient, you tend to ask questions that maybe when you're feeling that kind of rushed uh, care that you're getting in a hospital, even a doctor's office settings, you, you don't maybe um, ask the kinds of questions you should be asking. Anyway, telehealth. Tell, what do you think about that? How does that fit in? So telehealth, yeah, telehealth is great. It keeps you from going to a germy, hospital, uh, germy doctor's office where yeah. people in there are sick and, you know, you stand a pretty good chance of catching whatever they have. Um, the other thing that telehealth is doing and, and on the cutting edge is under a value-based care model. So we talk about, a, let's talk about a patient who has congestive heart failure. Um, it fills up with fluid, right, and, and requires hospitalization when they go into a full-blown uh, episode of congestive heart failure or CHF. So normally, the person who is being treated for fee-for-service goes home, oh, you, you know, doesn't feel so well, gets on the scales, notices a three-pound increase, usually walks their dog a couple miles, but all of a sudden it's like maybe I'm going to walk them like, you know, one mile and then it's a half a mile. They're progressively getting worse, but they don't know exactly what's going on. Then they show up in the hospital and they're in a full-blown crisis, which is a very expensive thing to treat. So they come in, they get a cardiac workup, they start to get diuretics to take the fluid off. Um, you know, and then it, they go to the floor for a couple of days. It's just a very expensive way to treat CHF. But everybody's getting paid because this person went into a full-blown attack. The flip side of that, using technology, using telehealth platforms, is the doc and the practice that's doing value-based care, they're going to send you home with a, a Bluetooth wireless um, blood pressure cup. They're going to send you home with an oximeter to measure your oxygen levels. They're going to send you home with a, a, a scale that feeds your information, your weight up to them. They're going to, they're going to say, hey, I want you to take your blood pressure once a day, um, same time every day. 
I want you to get on the scales, same time every day, and I want you to check your oxygen sensors. And so, and then they wire in your Fitbit or your Apple Watch. And so there's a nurse navigator looking at this data, and the nurse navigator sees, oh, David is not walking as much anymore. It looks like his O2 sets are going down at oxygen levels. And he's gained four pounds over the last couple of days. So they text you, call you, whatever your preferred way of communicating with them is. And they say, hey, you know, we're going to schedule you an appointment at 1 o'clock, pull up your computer um, and get on the portal. And let's, I want the doctor to talk to you. The doctor can increase your diuretic right there and then and order some tests, lab tests for you to go take. And then what happens is they've intervened in that situation before you went into a full-blown crisis. So all of a sudden, you know, you start to diurese some more fluid off and you, you know, they check your potassium and other things you need to check when you're doing that. And they say, they say to you, you know, how are you feeling? You're getting a call every day. Yeah, I feel a lot better. You know, I walked two miles again today. And so they get you before you go into that crisis, which is very costly because they've got skin in the game and they're, and they're monitoring you using telehealth. It's the wave of the future. Even it's Best the wave Buy of the future is getting value into this. Based care. Uh, we have one minute yeah. left. I could go on and on. It's always great to have you on the show because you've got lots of information. So, But I do want to mention the book again, How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System, A Patient's Handbook for Survival. Read it, get it. Um, Dr. David Wilcox. Um, there's lots more that uh, in the book, obviously, that we haven't covered. So, um, yeah, David, so give us um, a website and or websites we can go to for more information. Sure. So, actually, I've got a website that that is drdavidhelps.com. And if you sign up to get my periodic updates, I'm going to send you a free resource guide. The resource guide will take you to um, a price transparency tool that you can look to see what a procedure or even a lab test costs in your area. It's also going to take you to GoodRx and some alternative prescription uh, drug companies to help you out. Um, it's and it takes you to the CMS site without you trying to figure it all out. It's one click away. You can see what the star ratings on your hospitals is, and you can check your physician on it. It's a free resource guide. I prepared it so that people who don't know as much about the healthcare system can just access stuff with one click. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I, I always enjoy talking with you, Catherine. Yeah, I enjoy talking to you, too. I learn a lot. Thanks. Thank you. Have a great day. You, too. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 